This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. This is the second installment of the new interview format that I am implementing, which gives coaches two uninterrupted minutes to discuss their coaching philosophies and their ideas about the game. After that two minutes is up, I talk with the coaches about the topics that they touched on, and I try to extract at least one gold nugget that you can leave with. The guest on this episode is Steve Rollins. So a big thank you to Steve for coming on the show. You can connect with him on Twitter by searching at softtop67. And if you enjoy these episodes and you are an ambitious coach that is looking for something that can take you and your team to the next level, you should check out the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. It is a powerful and proven coaching education program that is available for a fraction of the cost of other licenses and courses that are out there that also teach you much less. David Copeland Smith, the founder of Beast Mode Soccer, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. And he said, and I quote, honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills. You're investing in your education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches. End quote. The 343 Premium Membership gives you 24-7 access to video lessons, ebooks, and audio recordings that help you learn the proven 343 philosophy and methodology. You can learn more about the benefits of the 343 Premium Membership by visiting 343coaching.com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Steve Rollins. Hey, Stephen, how's it going? Good, good. All right. You are the second ever contestant on this new soccer coaching game show that I've created. <laughs> wow. Bob Barkley, bring them on down. I know, right? Uh, so you are going to get two minutes uninterrupted to talk about your coaching philosophy or ideas or what you think people need to know about the game. And okay. um, at about 30 seconds, I'll interrupt you and no, I'm not. I'm actually, I'm going to try not to interrupt you. I'm just going to mention that you have 30 seconds, so don't get thrown off when you hear that. But then yeah. uh, you got 30 seconds to kind of wrap everything up, and then let's uh, let's discuss for about eight to ten minutes and see uh, see what else we can learn about you. Yep, it probably won't run full two minutes. Cool, no worries. For me to talk, you know, methodology and philosophy and stuff. So no, no worries. Whenever... Don't be thrown if I, if I don't go that far because I don't think it's all that difficult. Cool. Um, whenever whenever you feel like you end, then if you feel like you're ending early. Um, just, just go ahead and, and announce that you're done. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, cool. So here we are with uh, Stephen Rollins for a uh, uninterrupted two minutes talking about coaching. So Stephen, go ahead. Yeah, so, so, so for me, coaching breaks down into the needs of the individual. And the needs of the individual is the team aspects, the tacticals, technicals, and the physical. When I put together a team, I'm really not worried about the physical or too much of the individual technical, although we will make technical corrections with, within tactical positional play type exercises. And for my philosophy, in the team session, it's probably 95% positional play 
and then maybe 5% more pattern play. And so the pattern play is basically just there to emphasize what we want them to see or the cues we want them to trigger off of on the positional play. And so when you're doing positional play, you may see, you know, the, the six fall, fall back. And if that happens, what, what are your decision makings? What are the points that you should consider when making a decision on how to distribute the ball? And we'd work a little on that, but very little. And then once the player gets to recognize what we're looking for as far as triggers, in the positional play, it makes it easier to comment on. So the pattern play is there just to emphasize the positional play exercise. And so 95% is positional play. We want to see players moving the ball. We want to see proper decisions. And I generally work with younger kids under the age of 14, so I'm not terribly concerned with the execution. I'm more concerned with the decision-making. And if they're making the right decisions or at least recognizing the proper cues. All right. There you go. There we go. We had about uh, eight seconds to spare there. Very cool. Well. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me tell me a little bit about you. Where where are you from? Uh, you kind of mentioned you're coaching a lot of kids um, or a lot of, a lot under U14. Uh, yeah. where, where are you from? Who are you coaching? And, and, and what are you up to? So, so uh, I coach in the Princeton area. I coach a lot of Bob Bradley's hood. Excuse me? Bob Bradley's hood, Princeton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I coach a lot of independent teams. I don't tend to coach a lot of clubs. I do a, lo- a lot of clinics. I do a lot of individual stuff. I do the teams over the winters and over the summers, but I really try to avoid the club politics. So I'm not a huge fan of aligning with clubs. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Does it, I'm, I'm sure that, um, poses its own difficulties though. If you're, if you're trying to work outside of the traditional U S soccer club structure, that, that probably puts you at a, at a disadvantage in some other regards, right? Yeah, it, it does in certain regards. I also have two children, so it, it allows me during the season time to see a lot of their games because I don't have to worry about coaching any. That's cool. And then in the summer and the winter, when the time frees up a little more, you know, I'll coach games and 5v5s and 3v3s and stuff. I coach younger kids, so there's not a lot of 11v11 in my world. And I've done it long enough in the area where the clubs around me know I'm not looking to start teams. I'm not looking to poach players. So I don't get a lot of resistance from the clubs in their kids coming to my stuff because I'm not looking to poach them where a lot of clubs will offer clinics and stuff. And they're like, well, I don't want my kids going to that clinic because, you know, that coach sees them and then they develop a rapport. And now I lost the revenue. I'm not starting a team in the fall. And they all know it. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, how how long have you been coaching for? So I've been coaching for twenty years. Twenty years, that's awesome. Um, so you you've definitely dabbled with uh, with the club with the club teams. Then you, I'm sure yeah. at some point you've, yeah, you've been I, in that world. I've definitely been in that world. I started in that world. I would say probably five or six years ago. I just left it. Um, it it's just the the politics and the business um, part of it whether you agree with the business philosophy or not, I just found that it was so much more about how much cash we can pull than it was about developing kids. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that the cash part doesn't really mean that much to me. So I'm, 
uh, I just like to see kids succeed and, you know, it's my way of giving back. That's cool, man. Um, over the course of your, your 20 years, when did the words, uh, th- these are some of the words I wrote down, um, that you, that you mentioned. So when, when did these words enter your coaching vo- vocabulary, um, cues, triggers, um, patterns, uh, positional play at, at what point over your 20 year coaching career did those become, uh, a, a staple in your coaching philosophy? So, I think there's a difference between the actual word, the lexicon, versus the idea. So I, I played in Holland, and I played for Ajax in the late 70s, early 80s. And so a lot of what we know is positional play and cues and stuff, that was ingrained in what I did as a kid. Um, but it was probably the last seven years that the terms became popular rather than the actual what a cue is. Okay. You know, when we were, when I was in Holland, they would say, if somebody does this, then I want you to do that. Or do this, this opens or, or that opens. But it was never explained as, read this trigger. Yeah, no, that, that, yeah that makes sense. Um, and, and when, well, I guess... When when did you notice that that was missing in American soccer? Was it when you when you came back, or or I don't actually? Oh no, it, it was absolutely when I played. So when, when I went over there, I was I started. I was uh, just over thirteen. I was six foot tall. I could run like the wind, and I was physically dominant. Even playing over there, uh, the amount of pressure and just physical speed I could put on some parts of the game. I was relatively dominant. Within a year, um, the kids got much, much better technically and tactically. And, you know, just being able to run faster or be bigger was no longer that much of an advantage. And I was just not uh, able to keep up with the, the technical aspect of it. So when I came back to the States, I said, I was a good player, but I wasn't a great player because I was missing all of those basics that these kids, you know, there were hundreds of them that were better than I was because they knew all the basics better than I did. And is it fair to say that those basics are things that are kind of just ingrained in the, the culture or the player? Sorry, not the uh, culture is the wrong word there. Are, are those things that are just ingrained in the Dutch player where the coaches don't have to spend time teaching those things or, um, or, or is that is that something that the coaches do? I think actually it's the antithesis per- of that. I think the coaches expect it. Okay. Wow. So therefore, you do it. Okay. So, you know, as far as like even like receiving across the body, you know, if you go over there now and where you go to, I've, I've spent a lot of time recently in Spain. There's not an eight year old over there that won't receive across the body because everywhere they go, they're expected to do it. Here. As long as you move the ball upfield, they could care less how you do it. Yeah. No, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I refereed a game over the weekend, and actually I was the assistant referee. And one of the defenders for for one of the, the teams just had her head just buried in the ground and just kicked the shit out of the ball towards midfield, and the entire bench erupted. Great pass. Oh, my God, so good. Good job saying her name and, and whatever. And um, I, I just couldn't help but think like that. That girl had no idea what she was doing. 
And then they all cheered yeah. for her. Like, what? No, that is not how it's supposed to be. And and yeah. coach just sat there kind of quiet. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember uh, it was a game last year. It was even my own daughter. And she hit this ball. She was probably 30, 35 yards out from goal, which is, she was 12 at the time. So that's pretty far out. And it got caught in the wind, went over the goalie's head, went in for a goal. And like the crowd went wild and stuff. I remember talking to her after the game. I said, you didn't mean to do that, did you? She said, uh-uh, I was trying to cross it and miss hit it. <laughs> and, yep. and I was like, yeah, because, you know, coming out of my household, if, if you're 12 years old and trying to hit 35-yard shots, <laughs> you know, th- th- this is not what, you know, I've tried to in- ingrain in-, in my own kids, right? It's been like, hey, look, you're 35. There's better options than just launching it towards the goal. And she was trying to hit it across. She mishit it off the side of her foot, went over the goalkeeper. Everybody thought she was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But she knew as soon as, soon as she looked at me, she was just like, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to... That, but that's the American culture, right? Yeah. Everybody there was, was happy that she, you know, she scored a goal. Um, her coach tends to be Dutch, is Dutch. So, so he, he kind of said the same thing to her. He's like, I'm not going to celebrate a mistake. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... It, uh... I don't think it's unnatural to celebrate like that. No, regardless of, of who it is. And then the example that comes to mind is like when Tim Howard scored a goal from his own penalty area and just kicked the shit yeah. out of it and scored a goal on a windy day. Like, of course you're going to celebrate it and made top sports center top 10. It's kind of cool to watch, but, um, but yeah, the, the intention well, behind maybe celebrate it is, wasn't the right word. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah no, but it's, um, it's, it's understanding the intention behind it and, and the purpose of, of, you know, what was right. I actually she, trying to do? She, she wasn't a great player because she scored that 30, 35 yard goal. Yeah. Right. That was a complete mistake. Hey, what it did to the game, I understand. But, yeah. you know, as far as her development, it was a mistake and should be treated as such. It, it sounds like you're on board with the idea of just everything kind of having a purpose behind it. Like you, you, you mentioned like the triggers, understanding the triggers and the cues and the, the different aspects of, you know, if, uh, if somebody moves here, then somebody has to move there. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, everything has to be intentional um, for you. Is that fair to say? Um, so, so I hate using absolutes. Yep. Right. So when you say everything, that's what I have to do. I would say predominantly things don't happen by happenstance. Yep. So, so I hate, I hate the, the absolute, like, you know, I grew up in, in like the Corver world and stuff, and I don't do a lot of Corver drills. But I won't say I never do one. Yeah, no, that's 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 smart. Um, where? Uh, but I think, yeah, about purpose. But I think it was Verheyen, and I don't remember whether it was as simple as you can be or his first periodization book. Who, when he described the soccer action, it was three components, and this is where I think U.S. soccer has its biggest problem. It's, and, you know, I don't remember the exact terminology, but it's basically scan and deliver inf- and gather information, make a decision on that information, and then execute that decision. And, and to me, over and over and over anything and over again. <laughs> you do must contain those three things. Now, I, I, I think Todd Bean uses, you know, perceive, conceive, and execute, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, it's, it's, it's just semantically different but the intent is the same. No, 100%. It, make, it makes sense, man. It makes sense. And, and, and so to me, if you're in a team setting, right, which is different from, from being alone, right? Being alone, you can work on different techniques and stuff, and that's fine. But if you're in a team setting, 
and you're not over 90% doing those three things, I think you're doing a, an injustice to, to the kids you're training. I, I agree again, 100%. I think that kind of brings it full cir- full circle too, because that's kind of what you started off with is, uh, you know, 95% of what you're doing is positional play. And in order to do positional play that, you know, you need more, more people and, and more, uh, more players involved. And, and that's what the majority of your time should be when you have a, when you have all those pieces at your disposal. So yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, and if you want to do a ball on a wall, Hey, that's a great thing, but you don't need me and 11 other kids to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, where, uh, where can people connect with you, Stephen? Where can people, um, see more, more of your ideas or, or connect with you if they want to dive deeper with you about the stuff you said? So, so pretty much, uh, I'm a big Twitter advocate as far as coaching. So, you know, it's soft top 67. Steve Rollins is the name. I mean, you can find me either way. And, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, hear about lots of different ideas. Hey, I can say even from me in the, Every day, something somebody says, there's, I see something, my opinions will, will, will move ever so slightly. Not, it's more evolution than revolution, but you know, there's, there's always something that somebody's doing better than I am. So I always try to learn there. Yeah, it's, a, it's a theme that's actually been, uh, been popping up in the, in the two conversations I've already recorded today. I recorded a full-length podcast, and I recorded one episode, uh, a shorter episode like this, just before I called you. But it's, it's popped up in all three recordings today that it's kind of like a like your coaching philosophy or methodology, whatever you want to call it, right. It's kind of like a living document. Like it's, you, you have the things that are rooted and then you have some yeah. things that are, that are, you're, you know, just changing or tweaking or, or things that are evolving over time, which I think are, I think like, it's, like it's I had important. a conversation over Twitter and then some private messages with Erica Suter who knows strength and conditioning far more, far better than I do. And you, you know, for me to sit here and to take somebody with her background in education and, and stuff you know, and, and not to learn from it. I mean, it's silly. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's silly. That's why I think this, this little, uh, quick hitter podcast series is going to be pretty fun. I think people are going to be able to take quick doses of coaching information. And if they, if they like something, if they like, maybe, maybe it can just be a word, a phrase or a sentence, and they can kind of just add that to their, to their arsenal. They can add that to their repertoire or repertoire. I shouldn't even try to say that word. <laughs> um, and, and they can just add that to, to, you know, their, their arsenal yeah and uh let's call it what it is in the states we're behind the rest of the world yep so so we're not growing and improving every day we'll always be behind yep so you know hey there's there's so many people out there who know this stuff better than i do i'm just so happy that they make their opinions and and work available and you know a little bit every day and hopefully we we move a little more forward every day absolutely all right Uh, horrible english (laughs) um (laughs) All right, so Softtop67 on Twitter, Stephen Rollins. Uh, I appreciate your time being on the, being on the show, man, and, uh, and let's connect again in the future. Yeah, I appreciate it, John. All right, Thank brother. You. Bye-bye. Later. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. 
If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review. And I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 